people can read through the lines. I, I think that's where we're at with social media too, is people see beyond that screen. I think a lot of times, you know, maybe even five years ago, social media was kind of this facade. So people are good at seeing your genuine personality through stuff now. Lean, lean into your personality. And if your brand doesn't have a personality, look into getting one. <laughs> find, right. find it. This is the Customer Acquisition Show, the podcast that helps you turn complete strangers into repeat customers and grow your business. Hello, welcome to the Customer Acquisition Show. I am your host, Tom Merritt, the VP of Marketing here at Tier 11. And today I'm joined by two of my team members and people who've been at Tier 11 for quite a while. Daniel's been here longer than I have, I think at five years now. Yeah, I think I got here like three months before you or something like that. Yeah, and, and then you're right at two years, right? Although you've delivered five years of value for sure, if not more. Oh. Absolutely. <laughs> well, great. I'm glad to have a public conversation with you guys, especially around this topic, which we've been talking a lot about within Tier 11, but particularly something that we've been implementing a lot and testing a lot on the Tier 11 marketing side of things. So welcome. Yeah, glad to be here. And I must say, Lynn, I really appreciate that you have a matching color Hawaiian shirt. I know. We're rocking it today. Daniel. Daniel, I thought you were going to swap. You're not wearing the uh, department uniform. Sorry, guys. Nah, I could go <laughs> grab one if you want. I've got <laughs> one. It's green. It'll match. We'll look, we'll look ridiculous. I could change my lights behind me to green if you want. Would that help? Maybe. Well, anyway, well, today we are here to talk about full funnel marketing, specifically for people who just kind of launched their business, had some success, and it's not just from scratch. How do you continue to grow your brand using full funnel marketing? There's so much stuff to be done. Where do we start? Good question. <laughs> there is a lot to be done. So let's start with the hypothetical, just so we have kind of a foundation to work off of here. Are we talking somebody just started a business, just getting into digital marketing or running ads? Is that the approach we want to take? Yeah, I think, I mean, they must have a product that is built and we'll say they should have been able to sell it somehow already. So whether that's family, friends, maybe they have a small email list and are finding some success. It could be like product hunt or Kickstarter, something where they've kind of proven that people want their thing. Mm -hmm. I think an e-com as well, right? E-com or even a digital product. Cool. So usually at this stage, they've got a website, they've got product pages, they maybe have an email list they're not emailing to, they probably have all their socials set up, they might have even done a little bit of posting, but not much. So now it's the question of scale. And it used to be maybe a decade ago, right? You go and you get Facebook ads. And that was enough. You know, of course, what we have always known <laughs> as content people, that's not enough. It definitely isn't enough now in an age of a, a skeptical, oversaturated internet. So that's the why. <laughs> the why. The why is you can't just go straight to ads, even if you had the budget. But we're talking about maybe someone who doesn't have the budget. How do you scale using what we're going to talk about to then get to the point where you can do ads, your ads are more effective, you can learn what is going to resonate without having to spend the money on ads, just spending the money on operations to produce the content. And that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah, for me, I mean, this is obviously top of mind, as you guys know, just handling a lot of our organic social stuff. That's where my mind goes initially. So the first thing you have to do is figure out a way to generate content, right? Like if you want to run ads, you're going to have to be able to generate content at some scale. For me, I immediately lean towards organic social. That comes into the awareness category as well, is you want to build a brand. So organic social is a good starting point. That's probably where I would start is building a catalog 
so to say, on your social platforms. So you have content, and like you said, Lynn, so you can start seeing what's resonating, what are people engaging with. And from there, you use those signals to start to develop more refined content that you could potentially run as ads, or maybe even just put small money behind it with boosting, you know, a social post. Let's maybe take a step back and even like kind of define full funnel marketing and what we're viewing as the full funnel. I don't know if we're necessarily getting clear on like, what are some of like the main sections that people should be looking at within the full funnel? Yeah, I think a good broad-ish way to say it would be if you categorize it in three categories, awareness, consideration, conversion. We talked about a lot here. So it's pretty self-explanatory. But you know, awareness, you're introducing yourself to people. That's the way I like to think of it. It's your first impression. You're shaking hands, giving them your name. You're just introducing yourself. Consideration is where you're talking about what it is you do. You're giving details of your life, your product, your business, getting to know the person a little better. And that goes both ways. Your audience is getting to know you a little better. And within that category, you're getting to know your audience a little better too. And then conversion, obviously, is you're making the sales, doing hard pitches, hard sales. You're seeing revenue start to flow in. I would flip it in the way that often, especially like with an e-commerce or digital product, our buyers are going through those stages without ever actually interacting with us directly. They might opt, they might opt into a list or follow us if we're lucky, but sometimes we may never know until they purchase. So we think, oh, these direct ads work or these posts that say, buy now, we have a sale. We think they work because that's when we actually see that they were following us all along. So I think it's important to remember that this is in the, the psychology of the buyer and not always necessarily something that we can like we're not always taking someone and we know that we're taking them through awareness to conversion yeah i think this is something also to consider with full funnel marketing is when you're new you're not doing full funnel marketing the more you mature as a brand the more you have to do full funnel to be getting new people that wouldn't have known about you into buying your product when you're first starting out you probably are successful with whatever you've been doing and adding some facebook ads on top of that Facebook can find those low-hanging fruit that will buy. But as you start to mature as a business, you're going to want to start increasing their lifetime value. So that's probably a strong email side. And then you want to get more people into your funnel. So that's how do you go out and find them? You know, there's kind of like the organic and awareness level ads where it's just kind of entertaining. And we can kind of get into this a little bit later where we're talking about the different steps and what people need to see at these different steps. I think it is pretty important to think of as where you are on the levels of a business and what you need for increasing your funnel. Yeah, and maybe we need to kind of reframe it as, you know, funnel is a term that might be used loosely, but also very specifically in the marketing world. Maybe that's just my ADHD brain that feels like it's used everywhere, but also maybe it's because my son went to the tool store and bought a set of funnels. So now funnels are toys around the house too because he loves them. And maybe we need to reframe it as just thinking through the customer journey as opposed to a funnel with these categories. So I kind of see it as like, let's say you're going on a hike. Let's say you want to climb a mountain. You get to the bottom, like maybe that starting point is your awareness phase. You're introduced to the mountain. You start to see where you're able to go. Along the way up is your consideration phase. You have signs that are pointing you in one direction or the other, telling you what's ahead, convincing you to keep moving up. And then eventually you reach the peak. That's your conversion phase is that last step that gets you there. That may be a little generalized, but 
I do like to think of it maybe more linear as opposed to like a funnel where you're dropping down through it. I think that linear visual helps a little bit for me. The idea of a funnel can be misleading for people or confusing. The, the idea is, well, there's more people at the top and then it you know narrows down. But that kind of lets people believe that we are always getting a lot of people and they're always moving through as opposed to understanding that there are going to be more people at the awareness, problem aware kind of stages. And there will be fewer people at the lower stages. So if you wanted to run ads, for example, and you run direct ads, you might get one opt-in. Like, buy now, it's on sale, get it today and get a free gift. Versus you might get hundreds or thousands for some kind of awareness thing or a free, I don't know, a free free sample. Sorry, I don't know where we're coming. So there are more people at the top of the funnel than there are at the bottom, but people don't always necessarily move through. And I think when people get stuck on, they have to move through, but they get stuck on it and then it messes up everything they're doing as opposed to just create content. Make sure you hit all the levels, which we'll talk about. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point. I mean, when Daniel's talking about his son's funnels, when he puts stuff in there, it's not like he loses any of it along the way. It all still goes down, which is not the case, as Len's saying, within marketing. And you both hit on the idea of a journey, but you also talked about it from the perspective customer, which is probably the better way to think about it of making sure that you're not trying to force people into specific things, but giving people steps along the way to ideally find your product or not even right. find your product, but buy your like, product. It's like having lots of doors, right? You've got a hallway with lots of doors and some people are going to run all the way to the end because they're ready for door number five, you know, but other people, they want to go slower. They want to check out each room. They may leave your hallway and go explore doors elsewhere and then come back. Okay, that's a silly analogy, but it's more about providing calls to action and options for people to learn more about you at the psychological stage they're at. Because again, sometimes your competitors may be educating your customers, and then they just see your ad or your post at the right time, and they buy from you or vice versa, you could be educating your competitor or educating your competitors customers. And if their stuff is better, and at the right time, they'll purchase from them. So we don't always own the runway. I mean, marketing done well, you create loyal fans and that's the brand building. And I think it's important to remember too, like if you're talking a literal funnel, like if I went and grabbed one of my son's funnels, a funnel's just a funnel. Like it's a tool, <laughs> you know, a funnel's just a funnel until you put something in it. And that's when you start to see the function of it. So like if I watch Noah play, he can hold a funnel under a faucet, but if he's holding it off to the side, the funnel's not doing anything for him. But if he just scoots it over a little bit, more water gets into it. And then if he splits that stream of water to your point, Lynn, like a lot of people think you're getting so much more at the top of the funnel and the funnel functions the same way regardless. But if he splits just with the edge of the funnel and that stream of water, he's still not catching all the audience. So there's something to be said too of like using your funnel as a tool, but also being able to analyze your funnel to the point where you know, maybe I need to shift it over a little bit. Maybe I'm too far to the left in this stream of water, my audience that's out there, which you have an audience, just so everybody's aware. You have an audience, and it may just be a matter of moving your funnel to the right or left and catching that audience. I think we can move past the that's, funnel talk. That's all I talk about with my son now, so let's keep it going. Yeah. This is more like... It's like, I know this, this I got this. Spot. It's, more, it's more like... Uh, a sales squid game <laughs> where people just keep dropping off. Except we're All right. So, I mean, there's so much to unpack here a little bit. We've talked about competitors, which that's not really maybe how you should be thinking about it. People at that kind of competitor stage are really just category buyers at that point. Like they know they want probably want to buy something in this category with, that you're in. 
either from you or for somebody else offering the same service, how do you differentiate your product from a competitor? What are some ways to think about that? So consideration stage, solution aware, product aware type content. I mean, that's where like if you're an e-commerce brand and having those pages that are like our product versus others, it's where you're really boosting the proof, you know, the social proof, the user generated content. Honestly, I think at that stage, if you feel like you're facing a lot of competition or loss of buyers to the competition, maybe you've not niched down enough. Maybe you're trying to go too broad, be everything to everybody. Maybe you need to be a little bit more specialized. But I think it's also just building that community, spotlighting your customers, spotlighting the stories, digging into emotion a bit more. Because the stories and your customers and the emotions, well, the emotions maybe, but not the stories. Stories can't be replicated by your customers. And stories are what will resonate with your ideal, uh, your ideal customer. That's where if, if maybe let's just say you're struggling to differentiate from a competitor, that's where research can come back into play. If you haven't already done deep dive research, I think one of the biggest things you could do is research your competitors, get into their reviews, really start digging into what customers are saying about their stuff. And then when you see a consistent issue within the reviews of like, oh, their product is great, but it struggles here, like it falls short here, then you apply that point to your product and say, does ours do this? Do we struggle here? No? Great. But let's market that because that's what's going to put us ahead of these guys. To your point, Lynn, you mentioned the customer service sort of aspect of it too, of like, are they a great company to work with? Or, you know, is your business a great company to work with? I think that can be a game changer too. How well do you market your customer service and how good are you at standing by what you're saying? So if you give guarantees on your landing page, do you live and die by that guarantee or do you fight it? You know, is it a struggle for people to mm-hmm. get refunds? Which if you have a good product, hopefully, hopefully you don't give refunds. Yeah, <laughs> right. TikTok always knows. So I think you have to look for those standout points. You could have the exact same product as a different company, like literal exact same product. You white label it, let's say that. But if your customer service is 10 times better and people are complaining about the other person's customer service, the other business's customer service, that's a marketing point. I mean, get testimonials on that, like start to seek out and produce content on those points that you're gaining from researching your competitors. I'll take a slightly different tact here and say, copy your competitors in that if somebody's seeing your ads, they're likely seeing your competitors ads. I'd say there you have to find what that customer needs to see. And there's a high likelihood that your competitor has found that. So you should be testing stuff very similar to what your competitor is doing. Big ideas or hooks. Yeah. Hooks, styles. I mean, we can go deep into that. And the place to do that is really the ads library on Facebook. And I think it's called like ads transparency on Google, which you can see the YouTube that people are running. And it's really a great starting point to find what works for people buying in your category. We've done deep dives into Applied to Work With Us where we'll look at their competitors. And you know, in the SGP, we've found that their competitors are like 60% video ads. And the company we're talking to, they're only doing like 10%. Or there's something in the mix, not just in the creative and copy, but there's something, there's something in the mix that is off. So it's not always even hooks. It could just be how is information delivered? Maybe they don't have enough text on their images. And I think this is something that you kind of were talking a little bit about in our pre-call, Lynn, of not knowing what to do as a brand. And this is the ideal place to start is find your competitors, see what they're doing copy it, make it your own, and then iterate on there and listen to your customers. How are some other ways that brands should be figuring out what to say, whether it's in ads or emails or whatever 
other platforms have. Blog posts, YouTube videos, the questions that they get. So I'm really big on creating content based on those camp awareness levels, problem aware, desire aware, solution aware, all that kind of stuff. And within problem aware is where it gets most fun. That's the awareness stage. So questions that they have, either questions, addressing questions, address misconceptions or myths. Every business has like misconceptions that they face when they're trying to sell. Oh, you know, this doesn't work for this skin type, or I can't have an agency that I don't sign a year long contract with, or, you know, there's always misconceptions. You can address those. You can address common questions. Put them somewhere, put them on a page, put them in a social post, do a video on it, write a whole blog post, pull questions out of a hat. Today's question, I'm going to answer it. Share your expertise, demonstrations, all the simple stuff that like as a business owner, you know, or a marketing team, you think, well, we know this stuff. This is basic, but your audience doesn't. So one of the easiest ways to start if you don't have a lot of content is just that basic stuff. Like you don't have to stretch. You don't have to look at your competitors. And this is stuff that people are already looking for anyway. They're already asking these questions. So if you can be the one to provide it in your social content or your blog posts or ads or wherever, you've already got a head start. And then once you start, then you start getting ideas. And that's where the fun happens. And Daniel, I imagine you have a lot to say on coming up with content as well, since that's like a core part yeah, of your maybe, job. Maybe a few things. No, that's a good point. I think I think to Lynn's point, the FAQ section, whether that's on a site or a video on a YouTube channel or something, I think... That's one of the more important pieces of a puzzle in just having a successful business or offer or whatever you want to package it as. At least for me, I always go to FAQs on every page. And I think that's a great starting point for content. Maybe you have a massive FAQ section on your website, but you don't have content that answers those questions. So like, yeah, to Lynn's point, like go take those questions and just make a piece of content for each one of them. I think that's a crazy good starting point. And from there, let's say you had 10 FAQs, you create 10 videos for them, you push them all out at once, you can start to look at signals and see which one's getting the most engagement. And then it's like, okay, well, maybe that's the issue that people are having most trouble with and, you know, are really searching out. But along those lines, I think doing things like Google searches. So let's say your product answers a specific problem, like just typing in the problem in a Google search and seeing those auto-generated searches that Google pops up and it's like, yeah, your recommended searches are here. And it's like, what is most commonly searched around that problem? You can then start to dig into those things as well and see what comes up like, oh man, what are the results people are seeing where do we fall into this? Like, are we on that page? If so, killer. Like that, that means you're doing something right there if you're showing up on recommended searches. But if not, then you could kind of take that approach of like, what do we need to do to get here and get on these searches? That's a good starting point. But I think organic social is always going to be a key part and always going to be something I recommend as well. Is Can you define that more? Yeah, just, like, I mean... The channels, the... Yeah, the I, I think your, your normal everyday social media platforms, you know, your Instagram, your Facebook, your Twitter, all that stuff. I think just being able to post there, whether that be ad content or fun content, whatever it may be, just posting pictures of your products, having a social presence, one is good. That's where people live these days. So if you don't have a social footprint, I think you're going to lose a lot of customers. That's just personal belief. It's like being a small town business owner, never going to the coffee shop, never going to the business meetups, never interacting with anybody. That's what happens when you're not social on social yeah. as a business owner. 
to a lot of people, regardless of what your product is, it's like if you don't have a social footprint, if I were to go search Lynn on Instagram or something, if I don't see her, I'm like, huh, okay, well, I don't know what her expertise is then if she's not even on social media. You have to have that. Yeah. And especially your demographic is, I think, the more real that is. Yeah, organic social content. I'm just talking your everyday, you're not putting money behind it. You're posting the post. You're just getting content out there. You're engaging with people. You're literally building a footprint and I would dare say building a foundation for your paid advertising as well. So that's what I mean. But that's like your playground for content generation. I I think it's an incredible playground for media buyers, creatives who are working on accounts to test stuff without the risk of losing money or spending too much money, having something just bomb completely. If it bombs, it was free. Who cares? Try again. So I, I think that's the one thing I would say is organic social is huge and it can make a huge impact just because it's free testing. You're building a following through it. You're building your audience through it. Genuinely, as my creative brain, my creative side, it is a playground. I think it is a place where you can try new things, try new thumbnails, play with Photoshop's generative AI stuff and explore and see what's connecting with people. And from there, you just use whatever signals you get to influence everything else. On that note, how long does it take? So one thought I had as you were saying that is there's going to be people who are like, I'm posting and it doesn't work. But it can take a while to have, sometimes to have the algorithms pick up. It just takes consistency. How long do you think? I, I think it's going to vary. The algorithms confuse me. I think a lot of people are like, I've got the algorithms figured out. Here's the hack. And like, like I don't buy it. It's going to change tomorrow. Nobody has it figured out. I don't know. Sorry if I offend anybody, but don't buy into people who say they have hacks for an algorithm. I, I don't think it exists because you know, personal stuff, business stuff that I've posted, I'll be like, oh man, I figured it. I cracked the code. And then like within three days, I'll post something and it gets like one view. It's like, oh, okay. But the, everybody thing go? Just, the throwaway post is what like completely... Yeah, it is what it is. So no, to, to answer your question... I think it's not so much about like how long does it take. I think it's just that you have to have faith in the consistency of your posting that it's going to do something for you. And you have to take every signal for what it's worth and always look and learn from it. Because again, like I said, like that's your footprint. You know, you're leaving a footprint for somebody. So regardless of if you post a reel and it gets a million views or you post a reel and it gets two views, that's social footprint. And it's content that people are going to see that you're creating you may find somebody deep into that consideration phase who they're just looking for something to put them over the edge and click purchase, but they've not looked at your social yet. And then they're like, oh man, I didn't even think about it. Let me go to their Instagram. Let me go to their TikTok. And then they open it. And you know what's going to happen if they see you have one video on there? What's going to happen if they see you've got hundreds of videos on there, all breaking down frequently asked questions or product demos, testimonials? I think it's safe to say one of those is going to push them over the edge. The other's not. So you, you just have to have faith in the consistency, have faith that it's doing something. And, you know, having faith is believing in what you can't see. I, I think that's the key part of it is you got to just trust the process, be consistent with it. Don't look at vanity metrics. I think they're useful, but at the same time, don't get caught up in them. Your view count, your likes, for the sake of this conversation, don't worry about those. And just understand that having content out there is only going to benefit you in the long run. You shut down the point I was going to make. What's your What's your point? You should focus on the vanity no, metrics. No, I, I think a you should. I, for the sake of this conversation, though. Yeah. So I was going to split organic social out even further between 
the more traditional Facebook posts, Instagram posts, even stories, those are for people who generally already know you. The real sweet spot for testing right now is kind of these discovery platforms of reels and shorts and TikTok especially. I would just be doing, as you say, finding questions, whether that's from your customers or when you search on Google, it'll give you questions that people are asking. Use that as stuff to create TikToks around and post that. And then you can look at the metrics to see what TikTok values, because if it is getting a lot of views, that's a good indicator that it is a message that's going to work for your awareness level audience, whether that's even more social content or running those as kind of awareness and reach level ads, because you know that the algorithms are going to value that kind of content there. And then if you're getting a lot of engagement on a post, so comments, likes, shares, that's really a good indicator that that message is going to sit right in the middle of your consideration phase. Now, the hard part is really finding social that's going to inform what your conversion stuff's going to be. But if you're spending a lot of effort making people aware of your brand and consider your brand, the conversion yeah. should be a little bit easier. Good, good point, though. I think that's where the vanity metrics do come into play. And with regard to algorithm, I think it's that's where my head was at is you don't need to worry about figuring out the algorithm. You just need to understand how and why it's giving you the signals it's giving you. And just appreciate that for what it is instead of trying to hack it. Your concern shouldn't be about getting those vanity metrics. It should be about being able to see them and understand them and apply them to anything else you do. And I'll say I have figured out the algorithm. Have you? Yeah, I have. The key to a good neural network or algorithm is to give it a lot of inputs to get the desired output that you want. So if you want more desired outputs, give it a lot more inputs, which means creating a lot more content. There we go. The secret. Yeah. It's going to be a blog post. <laughs> Chang, done. We as marketers, or humans in general, struggle with is wanting to figure out why something works. And we've always never been able to do that. But we've been tricked into believing that we can because the data that we're getting from these platforms but in the end, we still don't know why something works. And my position is it's better to try more stuff to see if you can kind of figure out what's working that way versus trying to narrow in why something you've already done is working. So expanding. But then I'm a maximizer. I like to just keep going. Right, more. Yeah, I mean, it can't hurt to do more. Like either way, it can't hurt. Like there is no brand. I mean, unless you're posting stuff that is completely unrelated to your buyer's journey and whatnot. But even then, look at Gary Vee and it hasn't hurt him any. I think as long as you're relatively on brand and talking about stuff in the area that your buyers are interested in, it's not going to hurt you to do more. Like how many times can I post? As much as you can do consistently, just keep at it. And then one thing I was going to say for the discovery, like the, the YouTube shorts, reels. I'm sorry, guys, I'm <laughs> not the video person. <laughs> Short there on YouTube. Shorts. Okay, the shorts I put, and TikTok. I put tweets in there as well, because tweets, they get shared pretty well outside mm -hmm. of your core audience. Oh. I don't know about it anymore, but <laughs> we're not going in that discussion. One thing I was going to say, not just questions, but having opinions. So one thing I like with brands is, is brands who have these like worldview opinions. Like I'll give you an example from a lawyer video I did where the, the lawyer was talking about getting divorce is too expensive. And it was just a short, all of 30 seconds of divorce is too expensive. It got like 1900 views in like three days, which she doesn't have a channel. So it was amazing. I'm like more of that. Obviously, that's a pain. We knew that was a pain point. But having these opinions, not to be like, oh, I'm controversial, but because buyers are looking for you to have an opinion. 
They're looking for what makes you different because they want to join something. They want to join a movement. They want to buy from people who are like them and have preconceptions like they have and beliefs about the world like they have and beliefs about what's possible that match their own. So if you're also wanting to come up with content, those for those channels, opinions, flag in the ground ideas, those kind of controversial statements are really good. That's actually a really good point also for differentiating yourself from your competitors. We do the exact same thing, but this is why we do it. Here's our opinion. Here's our flag in the ground about why we do it. We have not talked about kind of your own your owned content, your blogs. And this is maybe something you can kind of hit on, Lynn, of how do you create so many amazing blogs that resonate? Well, and you're the person who came up with all of our lovely content ideas for next year. <laughs> I'm of the opinion that if it's good enough for a video, it's good enough for a blog and vice versa. So I'm really, 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 really in the redistribution camp of come up with a content seed distributed everywhere. So with that in mind, presume that whatever I say is good for blogs is also good for an email to your list or a social post or a video or even a podcast episode. I mean, it's digging into each of those steps one by one. So start with FAQs, start with misconceptions, common questions, what you wish people knew, pain points and symptoms. Think of a good product. It's shoes. My husband's six foot two. He has a hard time finding shoes that fit him and that will stand up to 250 pounds, right? You could dig into the pain points. What What is different about our shoes, you know, that are good for big guys going hiking versus the other shoes and talking about that. So you could talk about pain points or do you have a pain like right here in your ankle? And because I don't know, podiatrists would say, oh, the pain that's this way is, you know, if you can speak to that, someone goes, oh, do I have that pain right there in my ankle after I hike? Now you've got it, which you never would have if you were just talking about, oh, it's rubber and blah, like nobody cares. If you start talking about them and a pain that they have, and again, every product has pain points or symptoms of a deeper problem. So I would dig into those. Of course, you can always look at your competitors and see what are they talking about. Although I find so many brands are so boring and so like generic that unless you're going to take the content idea and apply your worldview um, and kind of lead it into how we're different and how we think about this topic, it's going to be, I think, a waste of time to just copy someone else's article. But yeah, that's where I start. Just dig in. Yeah, the consistency of message across all these platforms, which you were talking about this content I, content seed, is going to make for a better customer's journey because they are under, they are seeing the, the brand all the way through. And then if you're a product looking to move up to be a brand and grow longer term, having this worldview that you apply to everything is what people are going to end up believing in about right. you. And then Again, not that just... Mission. To join. Yeah, yeah, we used to kind of talk about the redistribution stuff. Uh, we called it content multiplication, which was, you know, like you said, Lynn, taking a seed, planting it across everything. And I think it's always important to remember too with that, that you may have somebody who's very visual and like, that's me. I watch videos. Like if I want to learn about something, I'd rather watch a video than read it. But you're going to have the exact opposite as well. There's going to be somebody who's like, I'm never hitting a play button, especially like my wife. If she sees it's longer than like 30 seconds. She's like, why would I spend time watching this? Tell me in five seconds or I'm out. She'd probably rather read something if she's interested in it. So it's important to have that stuff. And then it's auditory yeah. people who will listen to the podcast. Or there's tools where you can auto-generate audio like a player on top of a blog post that will play it. That increases time on page for people who prefer listening. 
yeah, this is maybe what we didn't touch on creating content, the actual creation of it. I think with video and image stuff, you always have stock photos, stock video, but everybody has a camera on their cell phone now. I would make the argument if you're just getting started, quality is something you should worry about. And if you can afford to get something as simple as like a lavalier microphone, you know, like a little clip on microphone, something to just enhance it a little more than your built in phone mic. Great, but you don't have to have it. The key is going to be to start getting content out there. So everybody has a cell phone these days. Everybody's got a camera on that cell phone. Most phones have a selfie cam. So if you're by yourself, selfie video yourself answering questions. I mean, that's half of what social media is these days. It's people taking videos of themselves. So you won't be some outlandish person, people questioning, oh, what is this? Why is this on here? You're going to fit into social media. So don't worry about that. I think the key is just get started and be consistent. That's what we didn't talk about earlier, I think. That worry about being too... Yeah, yeah. We've heard that before. Like, I can't build a, do an, a commercial, yeah. so how can I... You look at you big know. brands, you're like, why do these guys have a unicorn pooping ice cream? I can't do that. I don't have a unicorn. You know, <laughs> don't don't get so caught up in that. Just focus on the fact that you can create content. I think that's one of the crazy, cool parts about the world we live in these days is we absolutely can create content. We have that ability at our fingertips at any given point during the day. My wife was strongly considering that to be her Halloween costume, the uh, Squatty Potty Unicorn. <laughs> Would it be functional? Should I ask that? <laughs> she carry around a box of ice cream. No, she's going to be a Rupa okay. instead. Fair so, enough. Yeah. I think those brands are obviously spending tons of money on that content. But the thing they do that's free is they show their personality and who they are as a brand. They have a product that is kind of gross and nobody wants to talk about, but they're a brand that's made themselves silly and can talk about these things. I think it works especially well for brands that have things that people don't want to talk about to go that silly route. But I'd say especially companies that are founder-led, let your personality show. You don't have to be what you think your customers are. I'd say be yourself. For sure. People can read through the lines. I I think that's where we're at with social media too, is people see beyond that screen. I think a lot of times, you know, maybe even five years ago, social media was kind of this facade. So people are good at seeing your genuine personality through stuff now. So yeah, lean into that. I agree, Tom. Lean, Lean into your personality. And if your brand doesn't have a personality, Look into getting one. <laughs> find, right. find it. And that doesn't always mean you have to be a <laughs> yeah, brand. I, I right. mean, if you're a professional brand, like if you're a law firm, for instance, you know, I think the stereotypical one, we, we joke about it all the time, is like you see a law firm on TV, they're like the hammer. They're going to lay down the law and they're going to lay it down hard. They're going to fight for you and blah, blah, blah. But that's personality. And I, I think that's what a lot of people look for in a law firm is somebody who's going to stand up for them and is determined to win for them. But we had a client that did well. Their brand was warmer. So they were more, they really, we really highlighted how friendly they were. So it wasn't this, oh, tough, we're going to crush it. You know, it was more, hey, you know, we're here for you. Like we're, we're going to sit by you and walk you through all of this and, you know, be there. And all of the testimonials featured that emotional journey of, man, I was, I was overwhelmed and I didn't know who to call and I was getting the runaround and I called them and they were available. I could call them at, on a Sunday when I just got a hospital bill and someone was there to answer my questions and I had a personal contact and we really leaned into that warmth and friendliness. So it wasn't, so it attracted people who were really looking for that, that warmth. Whereas other people, you know, they, they want a warrior, they can go to the, the hammer, whoever, 
I think that is actually probably. someone's brand. Yeah, so don't sue us. Like, go to the hammer. But. There is literally a hammer sure. in every market. Oh, really? Yeah. I think I have one here. In, yeah. Yeah. But I, I think starting with a founded personality, you don't have to think long term because the personality that you establish is what's going to carry through the company. I, I, I know Apple's like this giant, massive conglomerate, but it still always kind of comes down to what I perceive to be Steve Jobs' personality, which is well-designed and attention to detail and I know that the quality is going to be there because he seemed like kind of a jerk about that. But then you get to something like the warmer brands or brands that are more, like in, if you're talking like a consumable space, whether it's like a mushroom tea, right? It's like kind of hippie, but also kind of scientific and really just kind of optimizing my life in a couple of different ways. Like there's a personality there. Every brand should have that. Yeah. It's not going to work if you're just generic, if you're just cardboard, especially not now. The market is too sophisticated. It's too saturated. You, and, and it's what people want. Again, people want people now are joiners. People want something to join. They want. I don't say they want a guru, but people want to have a relationship ish with a brand that they're buying from. They want to know the story. They want to know the founder. I mean, you know, the the fact that there's you know talk of you know cancel culture or whatnot says that. It matters. It matters who you are, what you're doing, what your company is doing, what you're all about, you know, and for your audience, it's going to be unique. And you want to turn away people who aren't going to be a good fit because they're not going to be a good fit anyway. Um, the more you can lean into it, the more people go, oh, you know, what, uh, Jana, we were talking once, and what was it, uh, Bob's Red Mill. I was like, oh, man, you know, I, maybe he's a Nazi. Look, he's like the nicest guy like on the planet. He was going to buy a plane for himself, his dream. And instead, like his mill burned down. So he like used all of his savings, to, like make sure his employees were covered and like built a new building or something. I was like, oh man, I guess now we got to buy more Bob's Red Mill. But I remember that because we remember stories. We encode information in stories. Yeah. And Bob, I used to go to food shows with my econ product I had back in the day. And he was standing out there in his little oh my gosh. hat. Just talking about his brand, and you you went up to him, and he would just he could see your name tag, what the product was, and he was always interested in like what That's you amazing. were doing. And it's like, oh, this guy just cares. And you can't fake that. Yeah, I think something to think about with your customers as well is they're not really buying your product. I think it's they're, they're really hiring you to trust that the product is good, right? So, you're, oh, yeah, like they're hiring the founder and the brand, like. If you were hiring an employee, these are the attributes I'd want in somebody making my hardware. That's kind of a jerk about quality and really <laughs> cool design yeah, that works like well. It's, right? They're investing in your company is a way to think of it. And they're not going to invest in a company they don't like or somebody they don't believe in. Because we can get it anywhere. I mean, products, you know, we talked about this earlier, products are duplicated. There's a lot of similarity. Information is really easy. If you're just going for price and you don't care about the product, you can get it anywhere. People want more. Brand matters. That's the other point I was going to make earlier is if you go to Amazon and you want to buy something, you always find like three versions of the exact same thing made by the same factory. They always have like different names. Sometimes they always end up being like Zizix or something like a random, which is actually a city in California. Or you have something that is a bit more of a brand like name, like an anchor or something. And it makes it easy to differentiate or have a feeling about the two, like something that has a name that's recognizable gives a sense that people have put more thought into it and care more about the brand, which means that the product is likely better. And that makes a difference and it drives sales unless somebody's going to compete, you know, on promotion or driving prices down. 
then it's a, comp- a competition between brand and price. And I guess that's mm-hmm. kind of tough to win. But even then, but- you know, oftentimes you think if you really care, low price, if the customer service to Daniel's point isn't good, it's going to take forever to ship. Maybe it's going to be damaged when it comes to me. Or maybe this other brand, it's a little bit higher price, but they like wrap it in like tissue paper and it's pretty and they give me like a free a free gift with it and like a little thank you card with a code to come back and it's just nicer it's just nicer that can be worth more money because i mean we're in an age where a lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck people want more experience because they're gonna run out of money anyway they want a better experience because <laughs> uh, they're gonna run out of money anyway so brand matters experience matters customer service matters like these are all differentiators that even if you don't have a superior product that can make up for it and that's a hard thing for you can't really hire an agency to do that for you you as the brand have to own your brand and own your customer experience and customer experience is so important when you factor that back into content creation when you're when you're thinking through these awareness consideration conversion categories the customer experience is what's probably going to drive a lot of that consideration category with your content using testimonials using reviews if you are a company or maybe you're looking at a competitor and they do add that extra tissue paper or something like that or maybe you both use tissue paper but you just wrap it and shove it in a box they put a nice little sticker on it to clean it up you know like those little differences are all points you could pull out to drive content your content creation and really really focus on what customers are saying to our points earlier that differentiation for your competitors, all of that can be used to drive this consideration sort of category for your content. So maybe we could spend like the last 15 minutes here actually talking about like full funnel marketing. <laughs> it, at least within our belief system. Uh, it's all like, full funnel marketing. <laughs> I don't know, but we've got to bring it back to tier 11. And here, you know, the things that we believe, which are, there's like four key quadrants of things that you should be doing to be successful with digital marketing. And that's having the data layer that you can make data-driven decisions from, the creative that is constantly connecting with your persona and getting into all the different fears and needs and wants. And I'm sure there's a few other things I'm missing in there. The driving of traffic, whether that's paid or organic. And the last thing is like the on-site after-click experience. So like those are the four things that we believe are necessary. And then we have kind of the matrix across the top, which is just stealing Eugene Schwartz's awareness levels of how to communicate to customers at each of those stages. So maybe let's dive a little bit into what that looks like and how we suggest people start along that journey. I mean, like building their full funnel? Yeah. It's going to scale as the business grows. Yeah. Um, the awareness stages are unaware, problem aware, solution aware, product aware, most aware. I think I came up with another one, but that's beside the point. I always add desire aware. That's really explaining the customer journey from their perspective of how they are experiencing the journey to get to the final destination, which is solving their problem. Well, what kind of content they're looking for? If they haven't yet decided, say, think of a product, give me a product. Squatty potty. I was going to say shoes again. If they are having, okay, well, we'll go with squatty potty. So if somebody is only in, say, unaware, desire aware, problem aware, where they're like, I have a digestive issue. I'm not pooping well. I don't know what squatty potty does, but I presume it does it let you squat and poop. Yeah, it's supposed to mimic. So basically the idea is that people who squat when they poop have better bowel movements and less bowel issues than people who sit on a toilet like all Westerners. Okay, cool. That makes sense. So that is like product aware, right? So if they're not even at the point where they know that how they want to solve their problem of not pooping well, they could go, I need to add more fiber to their diet. Maybe they want to go to a doctor. Maybe they, I don't know. They don't yet even know 
what type of solution, what category they want to go and finding, like solving their problem. You can have the best deal possible for Squatty Potty or your competitor, and it's not going to resonate because they're not ready yet. They're still thinking about the fact that they have this embarrassing and painful and frustrating digestive issue and it's bothering them, but they may not do anything about it for a year. So these awareness levels really hit at where they are at psychologically and what kind of content will resonate with them at that point. For some people, they can go from completely, basically, I mean, I guess unaware, but you know, desire problem aware all the way to purchasing and loving your product in a very short period of time. I mean, there can be sales within an hour. Like if it's something really simple and your message pulls them all the way through, it can take other people years, a decade until they're finally like, okay, I'm ready. You can't control that. All you can do as a business owner is providing information at each stage that resonates with where they are psychologically. And that's really where all those different levels come into play. Yeah, so would you suggest starting when you're building out a funnel or not a funnel, a journey, starting at the beginning or the end? I would start at the end. Yeah, closest to purchasing. I would start with that first and move backwards. So in that case with Squatty Potty, that's people who are pretty aware that a problem that using a toilet is not as efficient as squatting when you mm-hmm. go to the restaurant. They tried everything else. Nothing seems to be working or the usual hitting the toilet experience, being in there too long. Of course, that's still pulling them through a couple stages. You'll never be entirely in one. But yeah, I would start with what's most direct and then go backwards. I'm of a slightly different mindset. And maybe this is a creative brain in me. I tend to think like consideration content should be a big focus. And then you should have stuff that just introduce, introduces like that should be consideration, awareness, conversion can come afterwards. Because yeah, if you create a conversion stuff first, you could get those people who are ready to buy. But what about this massive world of people who maybe have never heard of you or are experiencing problems and know what's you what you do, but they don't know about you. So I tend to think of this like a bloated funnel. Sorry for the bloated reference here with our example product. Consideration, I would lean heavily into customer reviews, um, getting started. Any sort of testimonies we could get, obviously you have to have those. If you're a new product, you're not going to have those. But I would do what I could to start generating that. But I think my approach would be to have that because if you hit somebody with a first touch and there's nowhere else to go and they didn't buy off that first touch, what's next? You've got to have a little more to convince them along the way. Now, that, that would always be my main concern is I want to have that stuff that's going to be in that consideration phase to walk them through. So maybe it's customer testimonials or maybe it's a video that's like for Squatty Potty, like, why the heck do Westerners sit on toilets when they shouldn't be? You know, like some something along those lines or the secret to pooping in China. Something like that. Like there needs to be this kind of plethora of content there that is going to keep people moving because if they don't buy on that first touch right off the bat. You want to make sure you have content. But yeah, obviously, to your point, Lynn, like all of this is going to scale as you scale, or at least it should. If it's not, then you might run into a few more issues. But yeah, that's how I think of it. I, I think of consideration being probably my biggest focus right off the bat, along with awareness. But the awareness is I'm just going to try and get like, I don't know, small talk, get that handshake in, introduce myself. And then it's like, retargeting is going to solve the rest of the issue there. And now that you've said that, I I had a a client once where she scaled to a million in a year. I helped her and I looked at all her marketing stuff and she just had testimonials. She was scaling and or she was just starting out, hadn't launched yet. I was like, let's build your website. Just do social that is testimonials because it was like 
mindset stuff. She's really big now. <laughs> His mindset stuff. I just do your testimonials of people's before and after because these are like pain points. That's all she did. Like, we we're going to do other stuff. Like, no, just do the testimonials because they're amazing. And she was able to close her agency in like six months and was at a million in a year just off testimonials. We didn't do it. We were going to do a whole like email campaign stuff. And then I looked at it and I was like, let's just try this. <laughs> let's see. So to your point, yeah, I think you swayed me now that you figured my memory. Yeah. Even when you were saying that, Daniel, it kind of made me realize that consideration phase is probably the most important because it is the long tail. Yeah. Of customer if, you were, journey. if you were to think of going back to that sort of mountain climbing analogy, if awareness is the starting point and conversion is the peak, considerations, everything in between. It's going to be the longest stretch of that hike. If you think, again, of the case of Squatty Potty, they have lots of consideration content. They really just need to make people aware or the awareness, brand awareness. And they clearly did that easily by making something that you had to stop and watch and was interesting enough to keep watching. And then that kind of led into here's the problem and the solution. And then they're in your consideration flow. Yeah. Why don't we talk about that? What are the types of content that I guess you would, you'd probably say fit into these three categories of awareness, consideration? conversion. I think the squatty potty example, I I think just as an example, I think like entertainment falls heavily into awareness. It's the stuff that's got to get you to stop and look. You're laughing at a unicorn pooping ice cream. If I saw that, I wouldn't care what the product is. I wouldn't read anything. I wouldn't look at a brand. I would just be so enthralled and be like, what am I watching here? And I would watch it and then eventually be like, oh, that's for a product. Cool. So yeah, that is an example. Like I would put entertainment into awareness. I think everything should be entertaining to an extent. Pure entertainment. Let's say pure entertainment might fall into awareness. Lynn's giving well, looks. Is, I know my eyebrows are making faces. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think it's Bennett and Fields kind of define like brand awareness as emotion driven, like driving, trying to drive emotion where you start to get into what they call activation is more like the logic driven. That's a spectrum from high emotion to high logic. So and going from a- the desires and the pain and then the benefits, and by the time someone's ready, you're going to features, right? So you're going to more like, let's get to the nitty gritty of like, this is how much it is, this is what you'll get, this is how fast you'll get it, you know, this is what it includes. You know, when someone is really getting ready to make that decision, is that, I guess, is that an accurate interpretation of more emotional to more logical? Yeah, I think they're kind of coming at it from a perspective of brand advertising being focused on associating the brand with an emotion. Oh, yeah. But that's hard because we're a direct response. We're a direct response agency. And you know, that like, that's why I'm making faces because it's like going against my core of we'd put up a billboard or something with no calls to action. And, you know, that's just a feeling. I mean, we, most of the brands we work with aren't. I mean, that's like the Coca-Cola's of the world who can afford to do that because they need to reach the whole freaking globe. I can see why they would break it down that way. So that would probably be an extreme Next step is probably where most brands end up living, which is kind of trying to find emotional or entertaining ways to make emotional is not maybe not the right word, but the personality. That's maybe what it is, like personality advertising, where you're trying to associate your brand and share your personality and your beliefs to find similar people that eventually will have your the problem that you solve. Capture their attention, have the handshake. You can't become friends with somebody or find out if somebody you want to become a friend with if you're not shaking their hand first and saying, hey, yeah. I'm Daniel. Not to harp on it, but it's, hey, I'm Daniel, and I'm always going to harp on organic social as a way to introduce yourself with this awareness category. All right, consideration. So I, I guess to summarize awareness, it's really just putting stuff out there that's not necessarily selling, but really trying to make people aware of who you are as a brand and give them a sense of what you do. Is that fair? 
No, that I think that would confuse. <laughs> See, you're such a good manager. I challenge you. <laughs> I would say even it's maybe not aware of you and what you do, but being able to join the conversation you're having. So you're having conversations online. I mean, not conversations per se, but like talking about problem or being entertaining or it's your party, right? Someone's walking in and they're like, oh, I like this vibe. I think, yeah, I I, I do think divorce is too expensive or, oh, you know, I always wondered why toilets are different here than elsewhere. Like, oh, okay. You know, and they're just kind of joining the conversation because you're not really even talking about you yet. I mean, you can in passing as you're explaining yourself, but you're just having a conversation and they're becoming aware that you're having the conversation and becoming aware of the conversation you're having. Yeah. Like opening the door into your world and vice versa to their world. Join the party. I just imagine Daniel now. It's not going out to meet anybody. He just he shouts in the corner. Hi, I'm Daniel, and I like to talk about organic social. That's just <laughs> anybody want to, yeah. in the air, you know, juggling that's, them. That's my go-to party move. Because <laughs> <laughs> off being yeah, super embarrassed, absolutely guaranteed. <laughs> All right, and then uh, consideration. We're talking about like that's the meat of the sandwich, or the mushroom for any <laughs> or vegans the out there. That, yeah, that's like I was saying earlier, that's where a lot of the customer testimonials reviews come in, obviously. It's, it's your consideration. I think it's almost convincing is another C word you could put in there. It's the convincing category. Yeah. Educating. Indoctrinating. Yeah. I always used indoctrinating just to be edgy because you want them to think about the world themselves, what's possible, your product, you in the way that is conducive to them buying. It takes a bit of time, but you want it to be like the P90X. Where people are going, does this product have muscle confusion? Like P90X does? I don't know if I want it. That's like the level of really successful campaigns. Inject a little bit of that. The brands inject a little bit of that. Where you're changing how you're thinking about something. Oh, are we tweeting on Mastodon? You have changed how they think and talk about a problem or about what they're doing. or And that's what I think about when I think about yeah, consideration. On top of You're, you're kind of answering the question of like, what can you do for me? I, I think is a big part of it. What's possible? Let's talk about what's possible. Look what's, what's possible for other people. Can we have a conversation about it working for you? What it would look like? Acting now? Trying it? Yeah, P90X and muscle confusion is a really interesting because P90X is the brand name, but the brand is muscle confusion. You're putting... That's the unique mechanism. But yeah, that was the whole hook. The consideration is basically anything that will bring people closer to your product and understanding what you do and how it works for other people, like removing those barriers, but also educating. And you've been introduced now. Let's get to know each other. Why are you friends with everybody else? Why does everybody else seem to like you? Are you just a nice person? Do you have something to offer? What is it? It's the getting to know you phase. You're courting, courting your customers. And they're not going to agree with you on everything that you say, but you're going to say enough interesting stuff that they'll be like, okay. Yeah, to that point, kind of going back to what Lynn was saying, is like having opinions. I think that's where a lot of those come out too. It's like, hey, this is what we believe. Maybe that's not what you believe. That's fine. This is what we believe. So mm-hmm. You're learning. But here's how these beliefs have changed yeah. change yeah. other people's lives, believing that it's possible that you can completely transform so your body. In there's just not like only surface level learning or consideration that's happening here. You know, I think this is your chance to get into deep conversations, so to say, with potential customers. I'd say this is probably where 
influencers should live. And I think most people use influencers for awareness. And I I think it works both ways, but people have been using influencers long enough now that I think that's what people expect. It's like, ah, here's another famous person throwing another product in my face. Great. I bet the company reached out to them and just said, hey, we want to partner with you. Cool. This is why Kim Kardashian has an energy drink with the Lonnie New now. So cool. It's the worst one they have, by the way. It's gross. My name's Daniel. I like Organic Social and Kim <laughs> K's Energy Drinks. Kim New. <laughs> that's 100%. That's on my name tag written in very small writing. It sounds like I'm at an AA meeting when you put it like that. Addic- addicted to social media and energy drinks. Oh, that might be true. Oh, man. There's self- oh, self-realization man. here. <laughs> Energy drinks are really interesting because, or even Kim K is interesting because she has, was it Skims? That's her shapewear line, which is a completely different scenario where she has her personal brand and then she's found a product, which I think she she created, that aligns with that brand. She has tons of awareness. Now, consideration is shrunk way down because it's pretty well aligned with what her brand following understands. So conversions like right there. Something similar like Logan Paul and his energy drink, Prime. I see all the kids drinking it. And he has created well, a personal drink, brand. The Kim Drinks a partnership. Alani knew was Katie Hearn, who is like one of the earlier fitness influencers, I guess is a way to phrase it. She's got Alani New, which is her brand. And then she's partnered with like Kim Kardashian, Addison Ray, who's another little TikToker. They've been leaning heavily into partnerships, but you're right. What you were saying about she's got her shapewear line and then this energy drink and all of this ties into Kim K's personal brand and and what Mm -hmm. she represents. If you trust her, trust her values, trust like what she's looking for when she vets these types of partnerships or products. If you trust the honesty and whatnot, and of course people form what they call parasocial relationships with people. So that's a whole other thing. But if as an audience, you trust the person, you'd go, oh, they like it. It looks cool. I, I want to, you go. Like, yeah, you've shortened that completely. And that's where the brand comes in. It's not just like your graphics and your colors and all that stuff. It's the trust. In an age when we are bombarded with influencers and offers and beliefs and opinions and facts and not facts, and our brain can't handle it. We have to narrow it down. And you want people to choose your brand. Yeah. I don't know how the Kim Kardashian energy drink is doing, but that would feel like a departure from her brand opinion. I don't know if I would trust her opinion for an energy drink. What's funny is it is branded very much like it's a like kind of pale pink can that says Kim Aid on it. And it's like these inflated looking letters. Like it's very on brand for her. So they did a good job with that. But I'm with you. Is oh, your favorite absolutely one not. It's the worst one I've had. And I trusted Kim. I've trusted Kim Kardashian <laughs> with my life up until that moment. And now I no longer <laughs> believe in her brand. I was misled. All right. Anything else on full funnel marketing? We're we're a little long here. I mean, I, I'm down to keep talking. And well, we didn't talk examples. conversion at all. I was thinking on metrics either, but yeah, Lynn, go ahead. Oh yeah. Oh, I was going to say when you know we're working with our clients, you know, we recommend third party attribution like Wicked Reports, but not everybody starts there. So if you are a scaling brand, just start relying on numbers. You know, weekly reports. Look at your numbers. Don't always pivot your whole marketing based on one week's numbers, but Get in the habit of looking at them, and then you'll be able to make better use of other third-party tracking tools and to build reporting and metrics into your decision-making in your business. But so often brands are doing things and not 
looking at all the numbers or maybe they're only looking at one number. And so I think just as a broad general recommendation, get started, even if it's just a spreadsheet of the very basic numbers you look at every week or every month. Yeah. And the, the key is really finding numbers that actually drive your business and your revenue, whether that's a vanity metric like reach or you're you know, just kind of tracking your CPA over a long period of time. That should really help give you clarity on what's working and why. All right. So we've we spent a lot of time on the creative side. You've pointed out that we didn't talk at all hardly on data and numbers, which I think is really important to track and kind of the foundation for all of this. Most tools that you're using will provide you with some numbers. That's probably enough because it's not so much the numbers themselves that matter, but the trends over time based off of the inputs that you're putting in. I'd say it's also important that you're making sure all your pixels for everything is are set up and working well. And that really feeds into what we'll, we'll call the next stage here of traffic, media buying. Talk a little bit, if you want to or can, about the media buying aspect of this journey. It's a great question yes, to ask for awesome. non-media buyers, Tom. <laughs> Killing it with that one. Yeah. I was like, oh, we're going down the road here. That sounds, oh, that no. sounds like a great, yeah. uh, an, a great episode that we need to have. Yeah. We actually, we, you know, we talked to Landon quite a bit about stuff like this. And he's, go back to some older episodes where we kind of talk about different levels of media buying within the customer journey. We're really testing a lot right now, even on the tier 11 advertising. We're trying to test different campaign objectives based off the customer and journey. And where, where can people find those old episodes? YouTube slash tier 11. Is it tier underscore 11? I don't remember at this point. Yeah. Or we can link to, to some of these. Yeah. comments because there's some blog posts too i was thinking of that i know we've written on like the essential metrics how does there's a blog post with where i quoted landon about like how social boost ads there's another one on you know setting up your pixels and getting started with these things so we can link to past episodes as well all right so let's forget i took us down this path of media buying and skip us up we can talk about with expertise and this is lynn's speciality after the click what happens when after somebody clicks on your ad or social post well hopefully it's something that's related to the ad that they clicked on. Because one of the biggest things we see is what they call, what they call, what we call ad scent. So where the ad, how related is it? Is it even the same branding? Is it the same message? I'm not sure if it's brands don't realize they can make more landing pages and specific product pages, but we've come across where we've had clients before they start working with us where they have this like nice snazzy ad with great graphics and stuff and a video going to a page that looks like it was made in like, like 1990. Isn't Matt, like it's their old branding, the old logo, a different domain. It's like, oh, that's, you've killed the trust. People think they clicked on the wrong thing. They think they're going to get malware or something. Like there has to be alignment. So hopefully the first thing is that it, it aligns. On Google, we want to see ads that go to a page that's actually relevant to the keyword and search terms. So like for lawyers, it was a great example. We had a client where it was like starting a law practice, but the page had nothing, nothing at all to do with starting a law practice. I mean, they helped people who wanted to start a law practice in their particular methodology, but the ad, the page itself, it could have had wanting to start a law practice. And here's why this particular practice area is the best and lean, lean into the webinar and whatnot that was being sold, but it didn't. So that was one thing we recommended. Like, hey, <laughs> these would be these would be more effective if they were, the ad set was a little bit, a little bit higher. So one, hopefully it matched. Two, I mean, all of the best practices apply. It's either a landing page or it's a product page. For full funnel, a lot of things we're testing with our clients are more educational landing pages. The nonprofit we've been working with where they have ads that go to 
education about what it is they help with. It's an opt-in to get involved, do something for free that wasn't about donating money. So instead of going to a story and please donate, it was more getting them involved, educating them. Am I answering your question? <laughs> yeah. And even just thinking about it from a awareness consideration conversion level, this is a hardcore consideration, right? Almost all the time. Like this is where customers are at it least interested. Be to your site. What sort of information should be on like one of these landing pages for somebody coming from consideration ad or awareness ad? It's a landing page and not like a product page, or should I stick with? It could be either. Depend. Well, tell maybe give an example of why you would use a landing page versus a product page. What's kind of differentiator in your mind? Landing pages. Well, one, they're a little bit less direct, so a little bit less decision stage. Product pages are more decision stages. Landing pages are a little. You have more room to play with video and text and testimonials and whatnot. So landing pages are good when we still want to educate people, answer a question. If it's a problem hook, it's hooked them right away. If it's a testimonial, like hey, click to learn more, replay it. But generally, we want to see that emotion right away. If it's a product page, I want to see testimonials and social proof right at the top. I want to see video and lots of images right at the top. I don't want all the information down at the bottom. The more you can say, however many reviews, contact phone number, just make it look like you're a legit company right above the fold else, which I think we have blog posts on this too. Calls to action above the fold and then down the page, no matter landing page or cart page. And this is functional stuff. Obviously, there's a lot of nuance into the psychological specifics and copy and user experience and all that. But from a functional perspective, it's calls to action right away. Social proof as high up as you can get it in different forms. That's everything from number of reviews to trust badges to having a phone number and email in the header to making sure branding is good. It loads fast. Um, Even the content within at least a landing page. This is actually on any page. This is really part of that whole feedback loop that we get from organic social as well. Like what messaging is resonating for each of these things and start working that into the content on your pages. It's not going to be different. What's resonating in social is going to be, because those are core psychological pain points or emotions or desires, or it's not going to be different. So if it's working for your organic social, put it into your landing page somehow. Obviously, you're not going to put the same text, but from a core emotional perspective, pull that in. So many people think they have to start fresh or got to be completely boring or they can't reuse and these things can't reuse stuff they use elsewhere. And that's not the case. Repeat the same message. If there is a way of phrasing the problem you solve that like makes people's eyes light up and they're like, oh, I want that. Put that in your landing page. <laughs> Put it on your product page. Make sure it's mentioned somewhere. And how about for like the conversion phase after the click? Are you still just using product pages? or It's so hard because there's so many different businesses and so many different types of funnels. And maybe it's a retargeting ad, for example they've already purchased, take them right to the cart page or take them back to the product page or the re webinar replay page or something. You want to get them buying as fast as possible when you've reminded them. If it's something like, I'm trying to think of other, like for service business, it might be book a call now, right? You're going to take them right to the book a call page. It's going to have proof, going to have more information, maybe FAQs, but it's going to be right to the form or right to the booking link. And some ads, even you're, they're filling out the form on the channel, like LinkedIn. I've run LinkedIn ads where it's like, we have business analysts for 25 an hour, start within two weeks, scale up or scale down as you need, fill out the form today. Like literally <laughs> that worked, but it was a form right on LinkedIn. But they could also click and go to a landing page that had the same thing and explain it further. That'd be that total bottom funnel decision. But that shouldn't be most of what you're doing. Well, any other thoughts, aspects of this? We're going to be covering it 
ad nauseum for <laughs> no we can always keep talking but no i think we've given tons of information and if people leave comments with questions so that we can answer them in the future because we love yeah. talking about this stuff yeah please ask questions so we can turn <laughs> them this episode marketing is a long game constantly iterating not thinking too short term going towards your long-term vision and goal and taking the steps along the way and building upon itself so i don't know i was gonna go with that other than to say, if you would like to talk to Tier 11 about helping you in your marketing funnel, whether that's any of the stages we've talked about, data, creative, media buying, or after the click, head over to tier11.com, click the big pink button, and we'd love to chat with you. Well, and Daniel, thanks for joining today. Have a good weekend. And everybody else, see you. see you later. Thanks for listening to the Customer Acquisition Show. Take the next step toward growing your customer base. Visit tier11.com and request your customized growth plan. And remember to hit the follow button so you can be notified of future episodes.